So, can you hear me? Good morning, IBCD. It is great to be with you this morning, uh, albeit remotely. And I'm not going to lie, I'm in my closet. But uh, hopefully that doesn't create too much of a distraction. And for those of you that do not know me, uh, my name is Andre Green. My family and I attended IBCD for 11 years from 2009 through to the end of uh, 2020. And we've recently returned back to New Zealand uh, and our decision to return was not COVID related. However, it was very well-timed in that regard. And for those of you that do know me and my family, we are doing well. It took uh, some time to get used to coming out of quarantine and not wearing a mask, going to a supermarket um, or a restaurant or a cafe and not having to wear the mask. Uh, and when someone would initially would come and try to shake our hand, my first instinct was to recoil. But now everything this seems completely normal. Everything's uh, back to back to the old ways. It took some months to for us to find a church. Um, I wouldn't say we 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 have found a church, but I wouldn't say we found a church family uh, because we're yet to develop relationships within that church. There are a lot of uh, there's a lot of choice of churches around where we live, um, and we spent many weekends um, church hopping, going place to place, and then revisiting. And there was one which was very close to where we're living, and had a great uh, local community feel to it. Um, we, our personalities were akin with the personalities of, of the congregation. It was really good. Um, however, the teaching itself in the church was very, was not deep. It had no depth to it whatsoever. Um, and as Natalie would say, it was a wishy-washy word. And we would sit in lectures and one of my children, Carter, would lean across and say, that's not right. Or he, uh, another time he said, that's not what Jeff says. And I think the final straw when we knew we had to change churches was when he said, if this guy says another stupid thing, I'm leaving. So, so we have settled on a church uh, and it is a little bit further away. So we've had to trade off the local community for the, um, for this, for the biblical teaching, but we're, we're happy uh, in that church. Because I think once you've had Jeff as a pastor and you've had that biblical soundness, there's no, there's no going back from that. Um, so we were, just as you are, very blessed to have Jeff uh, as a pastor. Today's message is titled Freedom, and I don't want you to get your hopes up, but it has been about 17 years in the making. When I was um, 28, around 28 years old, I hadn't been a Christian all that long, and we uh, started attending a new church here in New Zealand, and it was a very large church by New Zealand standards. And I remember the, the pastor at the time, he stood up in front of the church and he made the statement. He said, if you want freedom in your finances. Now, I don't know what he said next, but I remember feeling uneasy about that statement that he had made. And I thought to myself, freedom in your finances, you know, it kind of sounds good, but what does it really mean? And I thought perhaps one day I would know enough about freedom or biblical freedom to understand that. So that's what I'm sharing with you today. There are numerous definitions of uh, freedom. Freedom is one of those words on a spectrum of anywhere between self-determination and um, complete enslavement, imprisonment. But the generally accepted term uh, definition of freedom is uh, having the ability to act or change without constraint. So not being constrained. And freedom is a slippery word. It's, um, it's generally considered a positive word. 
just like love. Love is a good word. Um, it's a good thing. But in the name of love, a lot of things get a little bit twisted, a little bit distorted. So love justifies all sorts of behaviors these days. And so it is with freedom. It's a good word. It's a positive word. It's something to uh, want or to desire. However, it can now be used to sort of justify certain behaviors. So, for example, freedom of speech can justify speaking hatred towards a person or a group of people or spreading dangerous lies or alternative facts. And it's quite a politically loaded word these days, and that's certainly not where I'm going with this message. Uh, and the topic of freedom could go in any number of directions, but where I want to go with it is uh, freedom in the sense of freedom from bondage or enslavement. <clears throat> when I was about 14 years old, I started smoking. You know, it wasn't that it was particularly fashionable at the time, but um, <clears throat> I was quite rebellious and I certainly thought I was cool. And my friends actually started smoking about six months before I had started. And during those six months, I didn't start, not because I, you know, I knew it was wrong and, and I didn't want to and not when I was fighting it or anything like that. The truth was, I didn't want to look like an idiot in front of my friends because when my father, when I was a little bit younger, my, well, a lot younger, my father actually gave me a cigarette to try. And I coughed and spluttered, and it was a terrible experience. However, that stuck with me. And I think that was the point that my dad was trying to make. Um, so for those six months, I didn't want to cough and splutter and look like a, a fool in front of my friends, so I, I didn't do it. But for whatever reason, um, 14 years of age, I did start smoking, which led ultimately to 15 years of addiction, 15 years of bondage to smoking, um, 15 years of prioritizing finances for cigarettes over prior prioritizing finances for food. Um, and, uh, you know, be one of those normal smokers that would leave a restaurant, stand outside in the rain just to have the cigarette. Um, and at the end, um, just before I gave up, I was smoking about 40 cigarettes a day, which is quite a lot. And I would uh, walk from any opportunity I'd take, I would have a cigarette. So whether I'd be walking from a lecture theatre to another lecture theatre and have one minute between, I would light a cigarette up, even though I wouldn't be able to get to finish it. And someone made the comment, asked me, you know, why do you do that? What's the point in that? And I said, um, well, some is better than none. That was my response. And that's not some unhealthy mantra that I uh, live by. I think that was more a reflection of how addicted I was. More recently, I have uh, stopped drinking alcohol. Um, my father was an alcoholic growing up. Maybe that sort of ties in with that cigarette story, giving me a cigarette. He was an alcoholic growing up, and my parents were both concerned with my, um, <clears throat> my drinking as a teen, maybe young 20s. Um, however, I kind of matured, and it, it never came to anything. It was, never became an issue. However, after my uh, mum passed away, uh, I noticed that things were becoming progressively worse. I started to uh, started to drink beer alone. Um, beer o'clock in the day used to get earlier and earlier uh, to the point where I was working remotely and I hadn't even logged off from work and I was already having a beer. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, and I could I could justify it. I could say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. You know, that guy over there's really got a problem. I, um, I would justify it with, well, I don't actually get drunk, I just have a beer or two a night. Um, 
and I'm not aggressive, I'm not um, abusive, so really is there a problem? So I don't want you to go away thinking that I was raging drunk, I wasn't, um, but I would have a beer most nights, and those nights where I didn't have a beer, I would really feel like a beer. And please don't think I'm condemning anyone uh, that does have a drink every night, um, this, is, this is not the case, because uh, this is very much a, a personal thing. You know, I was nowhere near rock bottom, but I'm wise enough to know that I don't want to reach rock bottom before I have to make any change. But perhaps above all is that the Holy Spirit really was prompting me for change in this life. He was really making me aware of um, the temptation, the dangers, um, that this could progress to a big problem. So there was a definite prompting to do something about it. And the final straw for me was New Year's Eve. My brother and his family had come over from New Zealand and we were playing cards one evening. And I'm embarrassed to say I did have too much to drink and I got a little obnoxious. And I put down one of my children publicly in front of the group. Um, and that was a new low. And I just thought this has got to stop. And that was the way that things were trending. And in my opinion, it just would have kept going. It just would have gotten lower. I would say my personality is addictive by nature. You know, I, I am, when I gave up smoking, I thought to myself, oh, I'd like to just be able to smoke if I went out. Or um, <clears throat> when I was stopping drinking, I thought, oh, it'd be good just to have a drink, just occasionally when I was out for dinner or something like that. But I know that I'm very much binary. I'm very much on or off with these things. And uh, if I'm on, I think I might be able, I think I might have it under control. But I think there's a big difference between having something in control, under control, and being in control. And for sure, I felt the lure uh, into the desire of alcohol, uh, and it was only getting stronger, it was only getting more tempting, and ultimately, I wasn't in control. And I needed freedom from this temptation, freedom from what was ultimately um, an addiction. Paul writes to the church in Corinth that no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. So I want to share with you three biblical truths uh, with regards to freedom. The first point I want to make is don't compromise character for comfort. Naturally, we'll always look for the path of least resistance. Um, take the easy way out. Unless you're actually training for something, um, an Ironman or a marathon or something like that, where you've got to condition your body, you've got to push yourself. Um, I think we are inclined as humans to take the easiest option. One of my children um, asked me, Dad, which job will pay you the most for doing the least? And I will let you speculate as to which child that is. Um, <clears throat> and, but I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would all much rather be given something or perhaps win something than having to sort of earn something, you know. Um, and when my son asked me that question, my initial thoughts, my initial concern was for his character. And when our children brought back to us uh, a test result from school or a soigness, they would, um, whether it be good or bad, my wife Nelly would always say to them that we are more interested in your character than your grades. And this is also true of God. He's much more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. 
And there's a lot of scripture which suggests uh, God puts trials in people's lives to help develop character. Um, but I don't believe God gives addictions as trials. For in the book of 1 John chapter 2, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. <clears throat> so we need to take personal responsibility uh, for some of our afflictions, and perhaps we should give the world a little bit of credit as well. Uh, and I believe that God in his omnipotence could instantly heal us from any form of addiction, uh, but I think he's more likely to use those opportunities um, to develop character within us. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Have you ever seen a uh, an insect fly or something stuck in a spider's web, and it's really stuck in there and you're thinking man that guy is stuck how's he going to get out maybe something supernatural can happen maybe a big gust of wind could um, blow into that fly with enough gust that would free it or maybe a nice human will come by and want to intervene um, with a stick but according to google an insect can free itself from a spider's web but it needs to keep moving and I think this being stuck in a spider's web is a little bit analogous to an addiction and that we're trapped um, <clears throat> and we're helpless, we're stuck. Um, and with addiction, often we are comfortable in it and it's very difficult to, uh, a difficult challenge to face and often we don't even want change, we're quite happy with it. But comfort or doing nothing is never going to bring about freedom. In fact, I don't believe the Bible teaches comfort. The Bible promotes perseverance and it provo uh, promotes action. Proverbs 14.23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So persevere and grow. Um, persevere and enjoy the growth uh, of freedom that comes with a God-developed character. My second point is the more sanctified we become, the freer we get. So sanctification is not a state, it's not an event, it's a process, and it's that process of becoming more Christ-like. So when we've made a commitment to um, follow Christ as Jesus, as our Lord and Saviour, we are justified, that's an event. And then from that moment on, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, um, and then we start the process of sanctification, uh, that we become more and more Christ-like. And I like to think of it as that we're on a path. Christians are all on a path, some further ahead than others, um, and that path leads to Christ. It leads to ultimately being Christ-like. And it's not a path that we navigate or that we reach the end of in this life, but it is because um, to, to suggest that we reach the end of the path would suggest that we are 100% Christ-like, which is never going to happen in this life. In uh, Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I appeal, to, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
as followers of Christ, we're not to be conformed to the patterns of the world or this world's patterns. And in verse 2, um, Paul has a don't that's followed by a do. You know, um, the negative command is not to conform to the pattern of the world. And one translation puts it, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, which is what the Greek term for conform means. And it's the same term that's found in First Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. The Christians in the world are not to, um, <clears throat> not to have the same shape. We're not to be like-shaped. This is, we should not allow uh, ourselves to be shaped by the world or to follow the same shapes and patterns of the world, uh, following the corrupt customs, following ungodly principles or evil plans. And the blessed man, according to Psalm 1.1, Resist being conformed to the pattern of the world. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So just like uh, a boat is in the water, but it's not of the water, Christians, we are in the world, but we're not uh, of the world. And followers of Christ um, pattern their lives after Christ and therefore become more Christ-like. And the key to escaping the world's grip of conformity is to, uh, to, to transform the word or metamorphosize our minds, um, the Christian mind, which is accomplished through God's gift of the Holy Spirit, who is working to change, uh, make change within our minds and within our hearts. In my introduction, I shared that um, my drinking weighed heavily on my spirit and conversely now my spirit is so much lighter and i know that that's real christian speak but to be honest with you i can't think of any other words that come close to um resembling how the weight i felt the weight the burden and it really was deep within deep within my soul and the holy spirit was prompting me to change so the more sanctified we become the freer we get um I don't want to say the opposite's true because I don't. My theology is not good enough to say that we uh, can become less Christ-like, but for sure, the more aligned with the world you are, the less free you become. The more shaped by the world you are, the more enslaved you are to its definition of worth, to its definition of freedom. And there have been times in my life, uh, in the life of my family, where we've lived with some form of dysfunction. And at the time when you're in it, it all seems normal. And it's not until you're out of it that you can look back and just see just how um, dysfunctional a situation or a circumstance was. I was quite living with, I was quite happy living with my addiction. And <clears throat> it wasn't until I was free of it that I looked back. And I mean, I knew it was unhealthy, but, but I, I look back now and I can just see how enslaved I was to it. How, how much control or little control I actually had. And here's where the Holy Spirit can play its part. It can see things that you can't. So if I encourage you, if you feel uh, the Holy Spirit prompting you in any area of your life, that you at the very least talk to someone about it uh, and ask God that what is it that he's trying to teach you. And my final point, freedom is not found in a how, but a who. How and who, they're the same three letters, but the way you put them together makes all the difference. And what I mean by this is that freedom is not found in a formula, 
that's found in a person. It's human nature to look for formulas or to be assured of, of, of an outcome. Um, but the Bible is not a book of formulas. It's not a book of what to do as much as it is a book of how to be. In the book of John, chapter 8, says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's a... They're encouraging words. And the Bible's definition of free means to... It means to liberate. It means to um, be exempt from liability. But what exactly has God freed us from? So the first thing he's freed us from is uh, the bondage of sin. So for someone to be liberated, they must first be um, enslaved or in bondage or bound. And that's exactly what we were. We were held captive by the impulses of sin. Uh, we had no power to overcome the influences of sin. Sin was our ruler, and it held us captive. And before you gave your life to Christ, whatever sin wanted in your life, it got. And that doesn't, that's not to say that you lived some wild, crazy life before you became a Christian. I mean, maybe you did, but it simply means that the primary authority in your life was your sinful nature. It was what was in control. For those who have confessed Jesus to be their Lord and Saviour, God has given them a new nature, and more importantly, filled you with his Holy Spirit. You're no longer under the authority of your old nature. You've been set free. And this is what baptism symbolizes, death to your old self and alive to your new self, centered in Christ. Paul sums it up in 2 Corinthians, where he says, Now the Spirit of now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And because his Spirit lives in you, you are free. Romans, um, so in addition to bondage from sin, um, there's also God frees us from the penalty of sin. In Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of our sin, you and I were on a path to be eternally separated from the presence of God. This was the eternal penalty of our sin. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Paul states that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And when Jesus sets you free, he takes away that death sentence. Um, you no longer have to pay the penalty for your sin. And this ultimately is the gospel. So Christ frees us from um, the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin, and also the um, shame and guilt of sin. Have you ever experienced a feeling of uh, guilt and shame? Have you ever felt shame for things that you've done in the past? If you're like me, you would have repented, and then you would have repented again, and maybe again, uh, because you feel so bad about it, and also because you really want God to forgive you. I mean, we've all done things that we are ashamed of, that we wish we could take back, go back in time and take back. 
And we all have the capacity to relive um, those bad moments and question why we had done something that we'd done. However, if you do this, all you're doing is creating guilt and shame and it can haunt you and it can cripple you and it can ultimately limit and stifle your capacity to grow as a Christian. And this is one of the biggest enemies of, uh, biggest weapons of uh, Satan is that he encourages us to go back, look, relive those bad moments in the past so that we can be overwhelmed by um, the guilt, um, condemnation, and this will ultimately rob us of our joy or strip us of our peace. And that doesn't sound like freedom. But the good news for you, good news for me, is that we've been set free uh, in Christ. Because when we sincerely repented, um, God set us free. He removed that sin from us. Um, as far as the east is from the west, he's taken that sin away from us. And he's not just removed that sin from our life, but he's also taken away that guilt and shame that comes with it. God forgets your sins, and he's not going to bring it up again, so neither should you. If you're forgiven, you are forgiven completely and totally. Sin, shame, guilt, all of it uh, was dealt with by Jesus Christ and when he set you free. And to carry that um, burden of guilt and shame anymore, you're truly forgiven. It's this ultimate freedom is found in Christ. So I have... I. I have that freedom that salvation brings. Um, I, I know that. I'm free. I'm free from the bondage of sin. But there are still aspects of my life that I was in bondage to. And I think that we're all prisoners to something. To some degree, we're all prisoners or enslaved to something. And even conventional prisons can take many forms, maximum security prisons or home detention. So to say that we are prisoners to something just suggests that we're there are, thing, there are things in our lives which we're not completely free of, or perhaps even in bondage to. So what do you need freedom from? Maybe it's your lifestyle, maybe it's your, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's guilt, maybe it's unforgiveness, whether it be of yourself or of others, maybe it's pride. Sometimes I will read over scripture or hear scripture, um, and there are certain words that would just jump out at me. Um, for example, whenever I used to hear the word drunkard in a scripture or read it in a scripture, my spirit would have a little uh, moment, a little jolt. So what I want to do, I want to read a little passage of scripture to you, and I want to see if the spirit is stirring anything in you. So I'm reading from the book of Titus, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, a drunkard or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, I don't know if anything spoke with you then, but what I'm going to do, I'm actually going to read it again, and I want you to stop thinking about that person sitting next to you, or the guy in the office that needs to hear this, I want you to, to focus on anything that relates to you. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, 
self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So I ask again, what do you need freedom from? You know what you need freedom from. God knows what you need freedom from. Perhaps you something that you can hide from others, but the, you can't hide it from God. And I think ultimately that's a good thing because he is best positioned to help you through it. And it's not just something that he's willing to do. It's something that he wants to do, to partner and journey with you on. God is constantly refining us. The There are many scriptures in the Bible referring to God as a sculptor, you know, in terms of a sculptor being a potter, uh, working with clay. But another type of sculptor is one that works with a chisel and a block of marble. And at first sort of hacking away at the big chunks, the big things, and then refining um, and coming up with the, the detail. During the introduction, I, I said to you that there was that pastor that said, um, do you want freedom in your finances? And it made me feel uneasy. Nowadays, my ears would perk up and I would associate it with prosperity gospel. But back then, I... I was too young, I didn't, I didn't know better. And I think my issue was with the words freedom in, because there's a big difference between having freedom from something versus having freedom in something. So to have freedom in your finances to me is being unconstrained in your finances. In other words, having more than enough finances. And although many of us think we'd actually want that, uh, and God could certainly provide that, it is not a biblical promise. And in fact, I think there were probably more dangers than blessings in being unconstrained in your finances. And I think that would, because I think ultimately that would, certainly for me, it would have bound me more because that would have made me unconstrained to spend money on something that um, I should rather be constrained on. So I would be unrestricted to indulge in things like alcohol or, or whatever. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus spoke of God's goodness, he says, what father among you if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? To ask God for freedom in our finances is akin to asking God for a serpent, something that's ultimately going to be harmful to us. And I truly believe um, that God would only bless someone in their finances um, once he's developed that character within you so that it's not going to be damaging to you. And ultimate, ultimate freedom is found in salvation. And that's the freedom that's eternal. And with, and with salvation comes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is to prompt us to also free us from some things of this world. And what I find, uh, which is a good litmus test for me personally, is when I can say, when I can truly feel that it is well, it is well with my soul. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth father and the freedom that it brings we um yeah just thank you that the gift of salvation is ours not that we've earned it it's just freely given by you lord and we're truly blessed to have that revelation revealed to us and and uh yeah i just pray father to say um thank you for who you are thank you for your love for us thank you for your patience thank you for your faithfulness uh, in our lives lord we're truly blessed for your love in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, IBCD. Hope you guys have a great day. Bye.